Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. We thank, as always, our producer-engineer, Dave Armbruster, for all his outstanding work. We thank the folks at the Believe Network. And, you know, uh, we, we, we've been lucky to have some incredible guests. And uh, we've not really ventured much into the broadcast world except for uh, Bob Costas and what a guest he was. You know, I grew up with my father as the announcer for the Cincinnati Reds. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, 47 years with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I had a chance to work with Harry Carey for a number of years. Got to know Jack Buck. I'm talking about guys who were legendary figures in their particular towns, of in some cases both nationally, then Scully. I'm not sure there has been a more popular broadcast team than the team for the San Francisco Giants. They call them Kipe and Crook. Kipe is Dwayne Kuyper. Many may not even know because he's been the broadcaster for the Giants for 35 years. He was also an outstanding Major League player. And he is our guest this week on Dialed In. We're going to cover a lot of topics. Growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, drafted seven different times, if you can believe that, is the answer to two unbelievable trivia questions. And Barry Bonds. Should he be in baseball's Hall of Fame? Will he get into baseball's Hall of Fame? A man who called every single one of his games as a San Francisco Giant is Dwayne Kuyper. He's coming up next on Dialed In. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health, serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Dwayne Eugene Kuyper was born in June of 1950 in Racine, Wisconsin, which is roughly about 30 miles south of Milwaukee. He has two brothers, one sister, grew up on a 300-acre farm in Sturdivant, Wisconsin. After high school, Dwayne attended Indian Hills Community College and later Southern Illinois University, that's in Carbondale, Illinois. 
From high school through college, and this is hard to believe, and we're going to ask him about it, Dwayne Kuyper was drafted seven different times. He finally said yes to the Cleveland Indians who drafted him in the first round of the 1972 secondary amateur draft. After two and a half excellent minor league seasons, he made his major league debut in September of 1974, and a year later became the Indians' regular second baseman. He would play for the Tribe for eight years, twice led all second basemen in the American League in fielding percentage, before playing his final four years for the San Francisco Giants. He is the answer to a pair of trivia questions, and again, we'll get to those later. Since his playing days, it's been an incredible run for Dwayne Kuyper. 35 years as a television and radio voice of the San Francisco Giants. Kuyper and Crook, the television team out there in San Francisco, is so incredibly popular. He and his wife, Michelle, have two children, a son, Cole, and a daughter, Dannon. The Kuypers are also grandparents to a little baby girl named Andy. And another one we understand is on the way for Dannon. All right, Dwayne Kuyper, after that introduction, what did I miss that maybe you are most proud of or I should have included? Uh, probably most eligible bachelor in Cleveland for two years. <laughs> uh, no, it went fast. I'll, I'll bet if you asked your dad how fast his broadcasting career went, he would probably say it went like in a blink of an eye. And when you said 35 years, uh, as a broadcaster, you know, I can't even imagine that, that that's the number. Uh, they had a big celebration for us last year that Mike and I had been together for 30 years. Yeah. We had no idea. You know, I mean, you just don't keep track of those kind of things, but it creeps up on you, and all of a sudden, you're at the twilight of what you love to do, and you don't really want to stop doing it. So you just have to stay healthy and uh, keep on moving. But uh, but it's amazing that you kind of put everything in my life in like two minutes. Uh, I'm really proud of you for doing that. Well, there's a lot more to it, and we're going to cover some of this. I, I want to go back, Dwayne, to, to you growing up in Wisconsin. You grew up on a, on a farm. Was that a dairy farm? Yes, it was. It was, uh, you know, the, the thing about dairy farm is you don't get any days off. If you're just a crop farmer, you can take a day off. You don't have to do anything. But if you're looking cows, you know, you're going to do it at 5 in the morning and you can do it at 5 or 6 at night. And now I'm being told, and I've been away from the dairy business for forever, I'm told that there are some places now that are milking cows three times a day. You know, the one thing I remember, you know, we never took a vacation growing up as kids because nobody liked to to have somebody else milk their cows. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we didn't go anywhere. And, you know, look, we're not any worse for the wear because of that, but, uh, but a vacation really wasn't in the cars. The only time my mom and dad started to make trips was when they went off to watch me play in college. And then after that, the, the cows were gone, and my dad was only raising crops. You know, then they had a lot more freedom to do things. But uh, but I really thought for a long time, Tom, that I was being punished for being a farmer's kid. <laughs> you know, you, your dad, Henry, just passed away uh, in August of 2019, 94 years old. Um, what kind of man and what kind of a dad was he? Well, he was, you know, there's always a good cop, bad cop in the family. And he was the good cop. Uh, you know, if, if we were always, if we were going to get our friends knocked around, it was going to be from our mom. Uh, you know, I, 
look, no one enjoyed my major league career more than my dad. Uh, you know, he'd sit in, you know, he's in Racine, Wisconsin. I'm in Cleveland. And the only way you could hear our games is if you sat in the car. And, uh, and he spent so many summer nights just sitting in the car listening to, uh, listen to the Indians games. And, uh, and, you know, and they'd come visit. And when we went to Milwaukee, you know, obviously they were there. But they came to Detroit. They came to Minnesota. They came to Toronto. Uh, you know, and they made trips, you know, just to see their kid play. He was a really fair dad. He was. And uh, I remember uh, we had a, a Pony League game where both teams were going to fight. You know, we had a couple of bench-clearing things going on. And, uh, and I remember... You know, we're all gathered around the mound, and there are guys yelling at each other and, you know, just typical mm-hmm. teenage stuff that you even see now in the big leagues. But here came my dad out of the stands. And uh, <laughs> he was waving his arms, and he got to the middle of the field, and he said, look, I didn't drive all of out here to see you guys just act like this. So can we just knock it off? you got to be Let's- kidding. Everybody, let's just go back to your benches and let's play the the, the game. And, uh, and I remember thinking there, you know what, my dad's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he went back up on the stands, he sat down by himself, and he wanted to play. So anyway, that's just a little bit of uh, what my dad was like. You know, and he, little did he know that when he was raising these three boys on the farm, that these three boys were going to run as fast as they could away from the farm. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get out of here because we are not farmers. And here's there's three of us. We're all in the same area, and we're all knee deep in baseball, which is exactly what we loved, and that's exactly what he wanted. Do something you love. Don't worry about the farm. We'll take care of it. And then he sold it like eight years ago. You get drafted seven times. How does that happen? And what finally made you say yes? You're running out of times you can get drafted. Well, in all honesty, Tom, the, 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 the deal was is how to avoid getting drafted, you know, so you could keep away from going to Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the really hard part. So you had to stay in school. You had to maintain a certain grade point, which I wasn't really good at any of that. And then you had to be lucky that whatever your draft number was, that they didn't get to that number. And, and I lucked out a bunch of different times. And, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't really think that, that I was ready to sign a major league contract. I think I was a little bit afraid of it, to be honest with you. I mean, he was a farm kid, right? Yeah. Got drafted in, in uh, if you go to junior college, and at that point, you could get drafted sure. in the wintertime and in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So that's why I got drafted four times in a matter of two years. But then when I got to SIU, uh, we went to the College Row Series, got drafted by the Red Sox, decided not to go. But the problem was, is that year, the year we went to the College Road Series, I decided that I was a ball player. I was not a student. So <laughs> I didn't go to class, right? So now the next year, I, I'm, I got to scramble to be eligible. I got to pass like 24 hours. You know, I'm having a tough time passing nine. <laughs> right. I get it. I get it. So I get drafted by the Indians, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to be eligible. So I kind of got, I forced myself in a position where I had to sign. And, uh, and, you know, it all worked out. I mean, look, I, I got to Cleveland, and, uh, you know, three years later, I'm in the big league. So I, I can't go back and regret some of the things that I did. But I, being a little better student and being a little bit more responsible probably should have been something that, uh, that needed to be done. 
You grew up when the Braves were playing in Milwaukee, and uh, these are the days when Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews are, are playing in Milwaukee. And, you know, you actually had a chance. I, I read a really cool story about you in getting ready for this interview about you getting the opportunity to play against Hank Aaron and one particular game down in Tucson, Arizona during a spring training game, right? Yeah, we're, you know, when, when you're in Tucson, everybody else is in Phoenix. And when everybody from Phoenix has to take that bus ride to Tucson, none of the stars go. So the Indians are looking for, for stars to come so that they can get more people in attendance at High Corbett Field. So they call the Brewers, and this was Hank Aaron's first year back with Milwaukee. So they call the Brewers, and they literally beg them to send Hank Aaron so that they can, you know, uh, promote this, that Hank Aaron is going to be, you're going to at least see two at-bats from Hank Aaron uh, at High Corbett Field. And, and it turned out he, he came and the place was packed. So Frank Robinson is, you know, our manager. Mm-hmm. It's his first year as, a, as the first African-American manager. And Hank, Hank, Hank Aaron gets on second. I don't know how, I don't remember how he got there. He probably doubled. But he's standing at second. And I'm standing at my position at second. And it wasn't that long ago where I was, you know, in my bedroom with a transistor radio, you know, underneath the covers, listening to Hank Aaron hitting in Milwaukee with Eddie Matthews on deep. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. This is literally, uh, this is a dream. So while I'm out there thinking all these really smart things, I look in the dugout and Frank Robinson puts a pickoff play on well, Hank Aaron's not going anywhere. He's 42 years old. He's just off the bag. But I'm trying to make the team. I'm thinking, I don't want to pick off. I don't want to go. If I want to walk over to second base to get close to Hank Aaron, I'm going to ask him for his name. Sure. Pick off sure. Put the pickoff play on. I don't remember who it was, the pitcher. Turned around. He throws it to me. And Hank Aaron is so surprised that anybody would do this that he literally spikes himself in the ankle getting back. And he's pissed. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I'm like, oh, Mr. Aaron. <laughs> pointed at Frank Robinson in the dugout. And I said, he, he's the one who put it on, <laughs> not me. And, uh, and he looked at Hank, and they kind of waved at each other. And that's as close as I ever got to Hank Aaron. Uh, and I always wanted to tell him, I said, I hope you're still not mad at me. But uh, but the fact that I got to play against him for two years, when uh, when he was one of my guys, really was a highlight. It really was because, you know, and I'll carry it a little further. You know, I would just listen to the radio and hear about Willie Mays and how Willie was better than Hank, and it's like, well, that's not possible. That's not. Nobody's mm-hmm. better than Hank Aaron. So no, I'm with the with the Giants, and I get a chance to meet Willie Mays, and I realize, you know, that what a terrific player he was because now you're going to see all the base highlights that you can, you can imagine. And, uh, and then I realized that the only way that I could survive this between Aaron and Mays was to say that they were tied. Makes sense. Makes one sense. was not better than the other. They were just exactly the same. Well, I tell you what, Frank Robinson wasn't too far off either. And, uh, and you mentioned him and playing for him when he became the first African-American manager in 75. You played for him for three years there. 
you know, hard-nosed guy. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to, to get to know him uh, later as a manager, uh, especially in Washington, and he came to Cincinnati quite a bit when his number was retired, all that kind of thing. You know, people looked at you as a hard-nosed, uniform always dirty, diving for balls, running the bases. Um, I, I imagine that, that he liked the way you played. And, and to, to be able to please Frank Robinson, it's not to say you did all the time, but the way you went about your business, I would imagine you two guys were just fine. Is that fair? Well, it, it, yeah, it is fair. And, and, you know, he he took care of – we had three rookies that all came up at the same time, Rick Manning, Dennis Eckersley, and myself. Buddy Bell had been there already three years. And, uh, you know, so he was an established veteran. And he liked the three of us because, you know, we were afraid of him. And we'd do anything that he wanted us to do. But if you did not go into second base hard, uh, you know, if you didn't do some of the things that he did on the field, you know, then he really didn't like you at all. Uh, so a lot of times, Tom, if you were having one of those days where, you know, you're tired and not feeling great and, you know, you're not going to play for yourself, you're not going to play for your dad, you're not going to play for the box score, but you sure as hell remember you're going to play for Frank Robinson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, he, he was inspiring that way where you wanted him that after the game you wanted him to, he's not going to say it to you, but at least to think, well, that kid played his ass off. And, uh, you know, and I like him and I want, want that kid to be around. And it turned out that when he got to San Francisco, you know, he was behind a trade to get me there. And, uh, and I had the enjoyment of playing for him a couple of more years. Um, I liked him. A lot of guys didn't, but I did. You know, um, it's talked about all the time. And, and obviously I had the, the fortune of working with Steve Stone for a long, long time, uh, announcing the Cubs games and have known Stoney for a long time and, and certainly consider him to be a friend of mine. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you're the answer to, you know, a couple of different interesting trivia questions. And one of them being, um, you hit one home run. Uh, in over 2,500 career at-bats. It was against Steve Stone, a Cleveland native, uh, and you hit it against him in Cleveland. I've always kind of wondered, and, and you know, because I've been around when that topic came up and both of you were in the same room. I, I've always kind of wondered, did, did, did that ever make you feel uncomfortable when people would bring that up? Because I'm sure that that was something that, uh, for you it's great, but maybe for him not so great. Well, a lot of it, Tom, depended upon, you know, who was the audience. Uh, and I could look at, at Stoney, and I could see if he was cringing or if he was going to be okay with it. Uh, and I didn't necessarily really enjoy watching people, you know, hammer him over the head of, of uh, the fact that he gave up my only home run. But I didn't want to embarrass him. I mean, I, I, you know, I like Stoney. Uh, you know he's he's still doing a great job with the White Sox, but inevitably it's going to come up. Mm-hmm. In the very last time that Hawk Harrelson and Stoney were together, uh, we came in to play the White Sox. It was probably three years ago, and it didn't take Hawk more than thirty seconds before <laughs> I walked in to say, "Hey, Stoney, look who's here." I looked at Stoney, and, and he, he kind of slunk back in his chair, and he's like, I don't really need to hear this right now. Right. But Hawk was just thinking it was great, and Harry did the same thing to him. Yeah. 
you know, I, I don't revel in uh, any of the things that, uh, that people like to do to stir it up. I know uh, we were at Don and Charlie's in on spring training, and my son Cole was a little guy. He was probably eight or nine. Don Carson, one of the owners of Don and Charlie's, he says, hey, Steve Stone is in the back over there, Cole. I want you to go over there to that table, be very polite, tap him on the shoulder, and say, my dad has hit a home run off of you. Eight- or nine-year-old kids, they're like, fine. There he goes. And, uh, you know, I, I put my head down. I didn't even want to watch. Sure. Cole comes back, and uh, I said, well, and Don's laughing. He said, well, what did he say? He said, well, Dad, he, he you know, he was kind of, you know, a little bit upset. He said, well, I don't know who your dad is, but there's a lot of guys that hit home runs off of me. <laughs> so now I got to go up. Right, and I got to go and see Stoney because Don Carson has put all of us in a bad spot. So I went up and I saw Stoney, and he was with a bunch of people, and he was great. But uh, but those are the situations that uh, that happen. And you know what? I, I I've heard from people that you know they've tried to get both of us on a ball, and it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I have a lot of respect for Stoney, as you do, and uh, he just happened to throw a hanging fastball. And I hit it out of the park. It's too bad. You're also the only play now. Now look, this this is a game baseball. We know more and more that is loaded with statistics and analytics and all this other kind of thing. The the thing I find amazing, and I did not know this uh, at all, that you are the only player going all the way back to the 1940s. I mean, when you start talking about uh, betting odds, for example, the odds of this happening have to be hundreds of millions to one because of all the different circumstances that have to, to, to be right there in front of you for it to happen. But you're the only player since the 1940s to have two bases-loaded triples in the same game. You did it at Yankee Stadium in July of 78. I mean, that's incredible. Well, <laughs> I almost didn't play the second game. Uh Rick, we had a, a picture by the name of Rick Waits, who was really an accomplished singer. And, uh, and he sang the national anthem, I think, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, and anyway, the Today Show was really interested in having Rick, Wake, Rick Waits sing on their show, which I think it started at 5 in the morning mm-hmm. or 6. And so Waits said, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, well, I want to go. I want to meet Jane Pauley. I think she's cute, right? Uh, so I bounce along with Rick Waits. We get up at four thirty, and it's the it's the day of the doubleheader. So you know we he he sings you know and blah blah blah, and we get back to the hotel, and uh, and we get on the bus, go to the park. Now we got a doubleheader. So after the first game, Jeff Torberg says, uh, "What about the second game?" And I said, "Yeah, you know what? I th- I, I think I'm fine." Uh, so I don't know. I play the second game, and I get two triples with the bases loaded. So now, fast forward to you know, 30 years after that, we're doing a game at our park in San Francisco, and I don't know who the player is. I don't know what team he was on. But in the very first inning, he clears the bases with a triple. Okay, fine. But God dang it, in the second in- or third inning, he's up again with the bases loaded. And I'm thinking, all right, I do not want him to hit a triple. I don't. <laughs> And I don't want him to get another chance for the rest of the game to hit a triple. Sure. 
And I'm thinking, this is really selfish stuff, right? I mean, this is minor league stuff. Let the guy hit a triple, big deal. So anyway, I didn't realize that it was moderately important to me until that situation came up. Sure, uh, sure. And, you know, it hasn't happened since, and who knows when it's going to happen. The, the One of the guys who did it, though, Tom, was a center fielder for the Milwaukee Braves, and that was Billy Bruton. So I always enjoyed that moment, too. Oh, did you meet Jane Pauley? I met Jane Pauley, and she was not impressed. Well, that's her loss, not yours. You were single was, in those days. That's her I, loss. I, you know, it was an overtry on my part. Well, you know what? You can you, you can never fault a man for trying. Yeah, but I wasn't the guy singing. You know, that's well, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, the, 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 the rhythm guitarist in a band does okay most of the time, too. He doesn't always have to be Mick Jagger. You have the excellent run with the Indians. You go to San Francisco, and while you're still playing – and, and you were like the trendsetter on this, and there were a couple of guys that actually picked this up after you stopped doing it. You were actually getting your broadcasting career started doing a show on the Giants' flagship station, KNBR, while you're still playing, right? Right. Yeah. I, well, I took over Joe Morgan's show. Yep. And, uh, you know, Joe and I were together in 1982. And then when he got traded after the 83 season, uh, the KMBR people came to me and they said, do you want to do this show? And I said, absolutely not. It's it's a distraction. You know, it's something that I have to worry about before I have to worry about playing in a major league game. And mm-hmm. they said, we don't care. You know, we want you to do it. So I ended up doing it. You know, and look, I wasn't afraid of the microphone. It was just you have to ask players, you know, to take some time to do it. And, you know, I wasn't really good at asking guys, but it turned out I did that the whole season. And then the next two years, they changed the show from doing an interview to talking about the game after the game was over, which I enjoyed uh, a little bit more. And then I was really lucky in 1985, where I was, was my my last year. I It was a strange year in 85, where I went to spring training, trying to make the team, realized that I wasn't going to, told the Giants, you know, I'm not going to make this team. They said, yeah, you are. There was a TV opening possibly in Cleveland. I wanted to take that. They said, no, 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 you're going to make the team. And then I don't make the team. You know, they were they felt bad. So they said, what do you want us to do to, you know, help you get through this trend? I said, look, I need 30 days for 10 years in the major leagues, which is significant for your pension. Sure. They said, all right, we'll put you on the disabled list with a back shoulder for 30 days, and then we'll release you. I said, perfect. So we get to Pittsburgh. 30 days is up. We have a, not a big party, but, you know, a little bit of a party in the bar. And I got my ticket back to Cleveland. And I get to the ballpark the next day to say goodbye to everybody. And Jim Damport calls me in the office. He goes, hey, Copper, we're going to activate you. I said, you're going to activate me? <laughs> I've been sitting around throwing batting practice. He said, no, no, no. We're going to activate you. And you're just going to bunt. I went, oh, great. All right. <laughs> And by the way, you know that ticket you got to Cleveland? Give that to Johnny LeMaster. We just traded him to Cleveland. <laughs> so, I mean, back in those days, Johnny LeMaster flies to Cleveland under my name. So I hung around for two more months. And then when they released me, you know, I'm thinking when the games are on TV, and there weren't a lot of Giants games on TV, but when they are, one of the radio guys has to go over to TV so they can have a two-man booth, which mm-hmm. means – there's an empty chair for nine innings. So I said to the Giants, let me sit in that chair for the remaining 20 TV games you got. You don't have to pay me. 
but, you know, let me on the plane and, you know, give me a hotel room with the team. And they said, fine, let's do that. And basically that's how, you know, I got started. And then the next year uh, they had this cable package. And, uh, and they said, you know, we'd like you to work with Joe. So Joe and I did five years together, Joe Morgan. And, and basically that's how it started. When you go to the Giants to play, uh, you meet Mike Kruko. Now maybe you had met Mike before when you played against him, although you were in the American League and now you come to the National League with the Giants. Um, did you guys hit it off right away? I mean, were you good buddies or did it take a while? Well, you know, I, I, I didn't know Mike at all. I faced him in spring training. And then I faced him, I think, three or four times when I started a game for the Giants against the Phillies in 82. Uh, so I literally didn't, didn't know him at all. Never met him in my life. So he gets traded over in 83. And, uh, and he was, I could tell that it wasn't going to be very long and we were going to be tight. He laughed at the same things I laughed at. He made me laugh. I made him laugh. Uh, I started out playing a lot in 83 and then got hurt, didn't play much. So we spent a little time on the, on the bench sitting next to each other. And you know that he can be extremely entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and he was the master of all these different games that you would play while, while the boring baseball game was going on. And so anyway, we did, we hit it off right away. And, uh, and then after Joe started doing ESPN games, there was a vacancy on Saturdays and Sundays. And that's when he started doing games. And you could tell right away that once he polished up his baseball language, he was going to be absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was, he's been off and rolling ever since then. And, uh, and it's been great working with your best friend. It's been awesome. You know, it's hard to believe it's been seven years now since Mike Kruko uh, revealed uh, to the world, you knew it beforehand, uh, that he was diagnosed with a neurological condition called IBM. Uh, it mainly affects the quadriceps in your legs, uh, your hand muscles. Um, how hard has it been for you to watch your friends struggle from a physical standpoint? And, and, and you know, h- how much has he struggled, if at all? It'd be impossible to believe that, say, that there's none of it, but, but maybe that's the answer. Has he struggled mentally? going through this yeah if he is struggling mentally with this tom it's at home uh i've only talked to him a couple of times on the phone in the off season where he's really been down mm-hmm. and uh, one of those times was when he realized that he probably wasn't going to be able to travel anymore and then that was going to limit his games to being you know half uh you know just being able to do uh home games and uh and i told him i said well you know what you know maybe we can figure something out so anyway i went to uh, the giants and i went to the people at comcast and my brother and, and jim lynch and i said is there any way we can do games where i'm in cincinnati and Mike's in the studio? And they said let's try to figure it out and we did they, they took 25 games on the schedule for us to do that in 2020 and then, of course, it got blown out by, by the virus. Mm-hmm. So we were going to do that. And it just perked him up because now he's getting back 20 of his games. But that's the only time, Tom, 
that I can remember where I've really hurt him down. I mean, I tell people all the time, I have more worse days than he does. Mm-hmm. And he's walking around with a cane. Maybe you trick yourself, but I don't look at him like he's physically disabled at all. I can't. Uh, he's just the same guy to me. Uh, somebody had some numbers last year about us doing for 30 years, and you know, there's a couple of people, according to their stats, uh, a pair of people that have done more games, and that was Vinny and Jerry Doggett and your dad and Joe Nuxall. Yeah, and I think you guys are actually knocking on that door of doing more years together than my dad and Joe Nuxall. I'm not sure about uh, Vinny and Jerry Doggett, but but I, I think you're right there very, very close. You know, um, you, you mentioned your brothers earlier. Um, Glenn, for those who don't know, um, your younger brother, uh, he is the television voice of the Oakland Athletics, so he's right across the bay doing the same job you're doing. Your other brother, uh, one of your other brothers, uh, Jeff, is actually the producer of the games that you broadcast. And for those who don't know what a producer is, I mean, this is the guy that's in your ear during the entire game, uh, making multiple decisions on what goes out over TV. But, I mean, again, I go back to the bases loaded triple thing. I mean, three kids from a 300-acre farm in Sturdivant, Wisconsin, and all three of them are in the same business in roughly the same town, 8,000 miles away from Wisconsin. I mean, that, that, that's almost statistically an impossibility. Well, it sure seems like it. And, you know, for a while before Glenn was doing the A's, uh, he was our sideline guy. And we, the three of us, for home games, a lot of the times we, you know, got to have dinner together. Uh, and then Glenn got the job with the A's, and it's a great job, and he does a great job. Uh, and then being able to travel with Jeff all these years, you know, at least, you know, produce that. I always laugh. You know, Jeff gets to the ballpark for a night game at 12. I don't get there till 4.30. <laughs> you know, the only time I got to see him then was if we had breakfast or coffee in the morning. But I got to see him, and I got to sit on the plane with him for all those years. And, again, it goes by really fast, but you really appreciate uh, the fact that you've had this time together. And, you know, and I, I've appreciated everything he's done. Uh, he and Jim Lynch have been a great, great, great pair. No great doubt. No doubt. You, you, your games look different than everybody else. Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough, not necessarily with your brother, but but all the years doing the Fox Saturday game of the week and the playoffs for years and years and years, and primarily doing West Coast games and, and, and working with Jim Lynch. Uh, but your games, thanks to your brother, Jim um, and that entire camera crew, you know, David Benzer and, you know, right on Rick Ratus and right on down the line. I mean, those guys, they, they, they look different than everybody else's games. They feel different. They feel big. Um, I want to hit two last questions for you. Um, Barry Bonds, do you think that he gets ultimately, do you think that he gets in the hall of fame? You know, that's a really, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I kept thinking that, you know, there's a lot of so many hardliners in the Hall of Fame, like Frank, like Frank Robinson. You know that that group. You know they 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 kind of drew a line in the sand for Barry, and uh, and we've lost a lot of those guys now. I mean, you know, in the last eighteen months, you know, the list of Hall of Famers that have passed away is sad. Mm-hmm. It's just really sad. 
And I don't know if that changes the dynamics at all, whether Barry gets in. You know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that we've seen some guys get in now that probably had their own share of, of enhancement, but never proven. Yep. It's going to be up to, what does he have, a couple more shots at the Veterans Committee? And then after that, you go into, you know, the other committee, you know, that, you know the committee that got Harold Baines in and, you know, some of those guys. So I think he eventually is going to get in, Tom. I just don't know when, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I don't know, you know, what the reaction is going to be. A lot of it is going to happen. What happens with David Ortiz? Uh, and everybody loves David Ortiz, but he got caught. So if he gets in, you almost have to think that that opens the gate for Bonds. Um, last thing I want to ask you about, and 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 I always like to ask guys who have given their lives to something, and most of the time on this show, it's guys that were players uh, and or coaches, uh, in your case, a player and a broadcaster. And, you know, I, I've talked about this with my dad uh, from time to time, not frequently. You know, when you look back, you got married a little later than most when you and Michelle got married. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I think you guys actually met in Hawaii, if I remember right. Um, I, I'm curious, though, you know, with your kids uh, growing up, uh, and back in those days you're traveling doing 162 games a year uh, as a broadcaster, uh, the entire time since, since both your kids are born, both Cole and Dannon, if you had to do it all over again, would you do it the same way? For, for me, my marriage for 10 years, or actually more than that for 13, 14, if you count the minor leagues. That was my marriage. And I didn't want anything else to get in the way of that. And if I'd have gotten married at some point in that span, you know, I would have had to have given as much to the marriage as I was to the game. And I didn't know if I'm capable of that. I know guys are capable of it because they they did it. And they raised family. I mean, look, my partner, Mike Kruko, had five kids while he was in the Yeah, league. yeah. You know, and he did it. And they didn't have any help at home. So it's doable, but I don't know if it was doable for me. I tell ballplayers all the time, you know, when they talk about, God, I'm away from my family, you know, my kids, you know, they got a, my son's got a game today, my daughter's got a volleyball game. And I try to explain to them that all the years that I was away from home, my kids don't remember that. Yeah, They remember me being home for five months or six months in the offseason. Yep. So don't wear yourself out that you're not at your kid's game and you're somewhere in Houston playing a game with whatever team, they won't remember it. But they'll remember that you were home a lot, and you took them to school a lot, and you were home at Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And uh, and that's the thing that I try to tell guys. Uh, I think it's up to the individual, Tom. If you can handle a family and a wife and making them happy, but you have to be at the ballpark at 1 o'clock every day, you have to marry the right one. She's got to be tough. She's got to be strong. And, uh, and for the most part, uh, if that's the case, then you're going to be just fine. Well, Kipe, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time today and can't thank you enough for the friendship through the years. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday, um, I had come back from college uh, just to visit my <laughs> folks in Cincinnati and went down to the ballpark, and the Giants were in town playing the, um, the Reds. And I remember getting on that elevator at Old Riverfront Stadium behind home plate. And you were on the elevator with Mike Kruko and Bob Brenly. I mean, I can still remember that door opening. And I was with my dad and had never met you guys, any of the three. 
uh, knew Brenly was an Ohio guy, um, and because I was going to Ohio University, and that's where he went. Uh, but I mean, you guys literally from that moment in time, you guys, and and I say this in 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 a one thousand percent positive way. You never changed. You you, you treated a a nineteen year old kid or a twenty year old kid the same way you did when that same kid. Um, you know, was trying to follow in your footsteps and your dad's footsteps and being a, a major league announcer with the Reds back in the late 1980s through the Cubs and the Diamondbacks and, and then the Reds again. I mean, you, you, you and Mike and, and Bob Brenly, my all-time three, three favorite guys that I ever met in baseball, and I just can't thank you enough for being that kind of guy. And we were all in the same elevator. And you know what was great? As I said the other day when we were playing the Reds, I miss – you and I miss your dad and I miss the interaction that we don't get to have now, uh, you know, because teams aren't traveling. And I finally just said, look, I just miss getting cussed at by your dad. (laughs) Well, believe me, believe me, I'm still getting it. So don't worry about it. (laughs) And no one misses it more than Dave Fleming because he's the one guy your dad loves to pick on. But, uh, but I, you know, you know, I love the, the whole family. And uh, I appreciate the time that we've spent together. And you know how I feel about you. Well, I only wish the best for you. Well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Dwayne, thanks so much for your time, man. It's been a lot of fun. You bet. Dwayne Kuyper, kind enough to join us on uh, this week's edition of Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Um, I'm telling you, uh, you could pick up a little bit uh, during that uh, conversation about his sense of humor. Uh, this guy is one of the the, the, the the ten funniest people on the planet, I'm telling you. And he is just an awesome guy. And later this summer, we will get his partner, who's another incredibly engaging guy in Mike Kruko. And you know what? Maybe we'll get John Miller. Maybe we'll just make this the San Francisco Giants podcast of Kipe, Kruk, and John Miller. I want to thank Dave Armbruster, our producer-engineer, for all his outstanding work as always. I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next week on Dialed In with Tom Brennan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.